Welcome to the Joyful Learning Podcast. I'm Melanie Kovac, your host. What does the future of learning look like? And how can we make it joyful? The future is already here. It's just not yet evenly distributed, as the famous quote by William Gibson says. In this podcast, we'll hear from the innovators and entrepreneurs in education, the movers and shakers who are building the future of learning. Today, I talk with Seraina Soltner. Sarina is the co-director and co-founder of Singa Switzerland. Singa Switzerland brings people with migrant and refugee background together and provides them opportunities to collaborate and work on entrepreneurial projects. Before that, Sarina studied philosophy, international law and international affairs in Maastricht, Los Angeles and Geneva. And then she worked for a while in the area of international justice for example, at the United Nations, until she decided she wanted to become an entrepreneur. Today, we talk about how she found her purpose and when and how she realized she's not in the right setting and how she fixed that. We talk about why entrepreneurship doesn't always have to be about scaling and how they measure the success of their Singer Factory program. We talk about how they brought their program online within two days and the challenges that arose with doing that, but also the opportunities. And last but not least, Serena shares free icebreakers with us, including how you even get Swiss people to dance. Enjoy. Hello and welcome, Serena. Hi, Melanie. It's very nice to be a guest in your podcast. It's my first time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy to have you as my second guest. To start off, I am curious to hear when you were a girl, what did you think you would become when you grow up? Yeah, my first wish or, or dream was to become a solar system scientist. Very specific, <laughs> very odd. Uh, I collected a lot of books and that was, I think, when I was 12. And then I moved on to wanting to work for NASA and maybe become an astronaut. And then I pretty quickly got into reading, you know, bio biographies of people who worked in the international field. For example, Doug Hammarskjöld, the first director general of the United Nations. And so then this became my next big plan to work for the United Nations and to work in an international environment. And you did. That's fantastic. Yes. I mean, I did. This was when I was about, I don't know, 15, 16. And I did think about a few other things in between but yeah at some point I did work for the United Nations and I uh, worked in the, in the international field which I still very much enjoy and I mean now I still work with people from all over the world but in in Switzerland I don't travel as much anymore so that mm -hmm. changed <laughs> so you brought the international people to to your city Well, yeah, in a way, I mean, I always, this is something I, even as a teenager and child, I always enjoyed meeting people from different backgrounds. And, and it's also something I was always curious about. Even when I was very young, I told my parents, I'm never going to study in Munich. I'm going to leave Germany. I'm going to go out into the world and travel and live in different places. And you when did. I finished high school, I also I went to Uganda for a few months to work on some projects. It wasn't really because I wanted to help anyone. It was really more for me as an adventure to go to the jungle and <laughs> go to a very <laughs> different world where I would be challenged in different ways, which I was. Yeah, I think that's always been a, a big passion of mine to be in different environments and meet people from different 
backgrounds and who have different ideas and different stories. Beautiful. Yeah, that's also what you do now, right? Like you build bridges between people with different backgrounds and, and different economic means and standing and, and a lot of different bridges. So now we've heard a little bit what you were thinking of becoming when you were a teenager. How come at some point you decided, I want to become an entrepreneur now? Yeah, that's a very good question. The funny thing is I always knew, not, not always, but when I was about, I think, 19 or so, I knew at some point in my life, I want to do my own thing. But I thought that would be much, much later in life. When I started uh, working in Geneva and worked in this sort of international environment with states, United Nations, international courts, it was clear that I could have sort of a career in that and, and follow this path. And even though what, what I really loved about this work was the purpose and working with people who are as passionate as I am and also from all over the world. So I really very much enjoyed this. But at least in my work with investigating international war crimes in, in the setting I was working in, I, I realized, oh, you need a lot of patience. And I admire people who have that patience. <laughs> But I also realized I don't have it. You work on cases and trials that take 20 years until there is actually a trial or the trial takes forever. And until there is justice done and it's incredibly important work but it didn't satisfy me and I yeah I realized I'm frustrated sometimes with the pace and also because the work is very political so you often know what is the right thing to do but you can't because there are so many stakeholders and so many issues involved in politics that I realized that I have to change something and mm -hmm. Then I also realized, okay, I want to go more onto the ground and work with people directly and see if I can, even if it's a very small and a small impact in a small context, let's say now I'm just working in, in Zurich and Geneva. Um, but if I can change something there, it will give me more satisfaction, I think, and also more motivation. And then I had the opportunity which is often like this in life, you know, you, you want to change something, but you don't really know how to go about it. And then sometimes you have an opportunity and then it's about whether you take that chance or not. And so I, I had the opportunity to potentially get funding to start Singa in Switzerland because Singa already exists in other countries. So it originally comes from France and it was founded there in 2012 with the mission to connect people with a refugee background, with locals, and actually not to help them, but to connect people and let them create projects together, whether it's in the entrepreneurship space or in the social or cultural context. So I met the founders or one of the founder in a different context in Geneva once, and they asked me at some point, would you be interested to do that in Switzerland? And Then I, because I was very frustrated at the time with my job as well, in some ways, I thought, okay, why not? Then there was this opportunity for me to, to get funding from Engage Omigo. And I honestly, I had no, I, for me, it happened also very fast. And I had no idea if I can do this. And also everyone told me, but you have zero entrepreneurship experience. You don't have a business background. And you wanted one entrepreneurship program because When they asked me if I want to do Singer in Switzerland, I said yes, but I want to focus on the economic side of it because I used to do a lot of work for refugees and migrants also in my hometown in Munich. Mm -hmm. I did some legal aid and so on. 
and I always worked on the legal and social side of it. And I was in Malta, I went to the detention centers and so on. But I realized I don't want to work in this humanitarian field of it because I think in the end, if people want to feel valued and are really part of, of their community, they need to be productive. They need to have the feeling that they can actually create something that they can participate and that it's on a level playing field. And so for me, it was clear in Switzerland, work is so essential that you are independent also financially, but that you have your own work or your business. So I said, okay, I want to do something on that. And um, I also wanted to work with migrants. And so I was the first one from the Singer founders to also include migrants, because I think people leave their countries for different reasons. And sometimes they struggle in the same way, whether they run away from a war or whether they had to move because of economic challenges or because of family reunification reasons. And so I said, I want to do an entrepreneurship program, but I've never done anything like it. So yeah, that was, honestly, it was a bit of a, um, a tough moment. And I, I felt like I have no idea if this is going to work. And I think my boyfriend, my partner, he really believed in me and he said, yeah, you do it. You know, he didn't, he just believed in my capability. But I think a lot of people, including my family, so they said, okay, cool. But like, what, what qualifies you for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, now nobody tells, that, tells you that anymore, right? Because you've been directing Singa successfully for the past three and a half years already. Yes. And it's also thanks to people like you I met early on who, you know, you always just shared and encouraged and didn't judge. And, and you're one of the, the people I remember early on when I met you at the Impact Hub. You never questioned anything. You're just like, how can I support or cool? What can we learn from each other? And something I'm so grateful for. And especially in the beginning, you, you never forget that, you know, and one person who is just caring and open-minded can really make a difference. So thank well, you. <laughs> Well, thank you. Likewise, uh, I really enjoyed uh, meeting you early on and, and exchanging because we started about the same time, I believe, like yes. for the Master 21. <laughs> and it's, it's very interesting that you, that you mentioned that your boyfriend always believed in you. Um, for me, it was very uh, much the same thing. I had this idea in mind and I think I was bothering my boyfriend <laughs> for like one year or more. Uh, you know, I could do this and, you know, it would be so cool. Yeah, at some point he just said, let's do it. Let's build a website. And he gave me that kick in the ass that I needed. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, I, I remember I saw you sometimes with your boyfriend and it's good to have this direct support, you know, because I think being an entrepreneur, it's also, it's not just a job, it becomes very personal. So it's great if you have that support from the person you love most or, you know, who's closest to you. Yeah. I want to come back. Difference. I want to come back to what you said uh, early on in our conversation about that for you, it's all about your purpose, your mission, your why, or however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that you figured out, you know, what you care about early on, equality and justice and international work. But then that you just realized that the setting, you know, in this political sphere is not the right setting. This just reminded me of the book, The Purpose Economy that I've read. I don't know whether you know it. I have not read it, but I heard of it. Yeah, we can definitely add it in the show notes. So basically there he says purpose, he puts purpose into nine different categories or so. And one aspect 
is really like, how fast do you want feedback? Do you want to work one-on-one? Do you want to work on an organizational level? Or do you, know, do you want to work on like a societal and political level? Because as you said, the feedback uh, that you get for the work you're doing gets delayed a lot. And in your, in your case, in your field of work, international peace building, it was even 20 years. So I think yeah. it's beautiful that you found your purpose early on and then adjusted, you know, the setting that you needed to thrive. I think that's a super important insight. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I, I still, I sometimes also miss that old uh, environment too, because there were a lot of things I also loved about it, you know, and it's, it's never that clear cut, but yes, you're absolutely right. I think what you have to figure out is yeah, even if you, and you know, I loved my team and I loved actually the, the field we're working in, but in the end, if you have to figure out, well, is it, is it enough in terms of your daily work or are you, are you satisfied in the end, you know, satisfied enough? I mean, you're never completely satisfied, I think, <laughs> which is also good because it keeps you going, you know, but I came to that point and actually, I mean, it was in a way it was a good experience because I didn't have savings or anything and I didn't have a, an amazing salary, but At some point I had tough negotiations with my employer and it was about whether I stay or not. And at some point I realized even if they would offer me 20, 30,000 a month, which of course they didn't, but I realized <laughs> if they did, it wouldn't even make me think twice, you know? And that's the moment where I realized money is really not what's driving me. And also because I've never been the nine to five person, I, I did so much overtime also in my old job because I love, you know, I, I really cared about what we did. And I realized, ah, it's, I don't know, for me, work will always be more than just work. And that's why I have to really like my work. But I also respect, I know I have friends and people who just, you know, they work because to do all the other things they want to do. But for me, work is a big part of my life because I actually don't want it just to be work. I want it to be a meaningful part in my life. And that's why I kind of have to like it. And it's a big part of our life, right? We yes. we spend uh, minimum 40 hours per week, but it's with the time that we uh, spend sleeping every day and the time that we just need for eating and other stuff, like work is a substantial amount of time we have to, yes. that can add to our feelings of doing something meaningful and yeah, being satisfied, as you said. Yeah, and you also, know, you, I guess you have that too, right? You also want to learn and develop in life. And I think, I don't know how you feel about that also with your journey. Like that is something that should ideally also happen in your work. I totally agree completely. And I believe that's one reason why I chose entrepreneurship as my path, mm -hmm. because I believe you just learn so much about yourself, about leading the team, about the field of work, and you're constantly learning. So that, that for me was one reason why I love being an entrepreneur. Yes, that is true. You learn so much. I think it's been the most intense school in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and as you say, I, you really learn a lot of things in terms of uh, how do you build an organization, partnerships, and so on. You also learn what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not good at, but also you learn so much about yourself, your character, your insecurities. Even your family, your, you know, all of that, like it, it trickles down to your relationship. And when you're an entrepreneur, because you, you can't, you're really responsible for how you deal with things, right? So you can't just say, ah, oh, it's my boss or it's that. I think that's one of the things I actually also love about being surrounded by entrepreneurs is you never hear that complaining. 
I mean, sometimes you complain, of course, but people quickly go to, okay, what can I actually do about this? Yes, I, I love that attitude. That's also what the Swiss Miss always says. If she catches herself complaining too much about something, she has to do some either shut up <laughs> or do something about it. And that's actually, I think, how she started Tatley, the temporary tattoo company. And uh, mm -hmm. I think it's very typical for entrepreneurs that when you see a problem, they either fix it or don't and complain. And that's the thing, you know, sometimes in my old job, I remember sometimes in Geneva, I mean, I, I always worked in the, one of the United Agency buildings, even with my other job. So I was always surrounded also by these people. And sometimes you would hear often, you know, in the coffee kitchen, just people complaining about the same thing for months. And It's also because you don't really, sometimes you don't get the responsibility or you don't take it or you don't have it. But uh, I've never really experienced that since I left that job. I, I hear people complaining for maybe max one minute and then it's about, okay, what do we do about this? And do you have ideas? And it's so much more creative and productive and it makes you more active also in your mind, the way you mm -hmm. think. You said before, you're never completely satisfied. And being an entrepreneur, you learned a lot about what you like and what you're good at and what you don't like and not so good at. Can you say a bit more about that? Oh, yeah. So I don't know. I realized, for example, there were a few things where I thought, oh, I'm sure I'm going to be good at this. Because I, I used to be, for example, in my old teams, I always was one of the more like social ones. I got along with everyone and could, you know, had always empathy for everyone. But I also was never really in charge. And one of the things I learned, and I thought, you know, if I ever had the opportunity to lead a team, I would improve all of these things and I would <laughs> make everyone happy and everyone would learn and thrive. And then when I started building our own team, I realized how hard it is because I was also responsible for the whole organization as such, you know, making sure we have enough money to pay everyone and then making sure everyone's happy. And I realized I can't do it all. And I'm actually not even that good at it. I realized so I had to get help to admit that and say, okay, you know, I'm, I need support in this and I can't be good in everything. And maybe especially not in the things that I thought I was good because I realized now I have a different role. And sometimes I find it hard to be that, that nice, empathetic, listening, always happy, funny person because I was like, yeah, but I'm also, I actually have a full agenda and I mm -hmm. want to make sure you get paid at the end of the day. I can't listen to every little thing and I can't give you all the little trainings you want to do or whatever, you know? And I realized, hmm, I have to live with not being always liked. And do I like this? And am I good at this? And <laughs> Also saying, hey, maybe uh, that's why I love having a co-director. Maybe she should do more of the HR stuff and I do more the creative work with the team and making sure I challenge them and also give them enough opportunity to try out things. But on, on other HR issues, I should actually give someone else the lead or also learn with partnerships that I always thought I would be very good at this and I love it. But then I realized mm, I'm really good at this if I connect with someone, but... Mm -hmm. If I don't believe in someone's attitude or goals, I'm actually not very good at this. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, but I can do that anyways. You know, I can deal with any tough situation. And I was like, mm, no. Uh, and I, I think one of the things I love is that you ideally you have a quite diverse team. And when you realize, okay, I can't connect with that person. I, in this situation, I'm not good at this. I can ask someone else in my team who's much better. Yeah, I love that you're saying this, especially the, the anecdote with uh, your boss. 
<laughs> I experienced exactly the same. I thought, you know, when I was going to lead a company, I would do it all differently. And, <laughs> and at some point when I was actually leading the team, I realized, hmm, it's not that easy. <laughs> no. <laughs> and also you start, I started understanding my supervisors much. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, now I get it. One thing I learned, at least for myself throughout the last year is also by watching, observing a lot of other businesses and entrepreneurs around me is that there isn't one way or one handbook to become an entrepreneur. There are so many different ways to do it. And, and that's exactly because it's also, I think quite a few people make also decisions based on intuition and uh, there's not one strategy that applies or works. And yeah. sometimes I feel we need to tell each other that more and also be brave and say, hey, yeah, maybe the book, the entrepreneurship book, whatever that is, says you have to do it that way. And, you know, people always talk about scaling. And that's something, for example, in the Singa factory, uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs in our program, they want to do small businesses. It's not about scaling. It's maybe about, I just want to have, I don't know, a business with five, 10 people. Others also want to scale and build huge international companies, of course. But a lot of people especially also a lot of parents and we have a lot of parents in our program and by the way we have over 50 percent women that's great who so far have been the more successful entrepreneurs they start with a small business and then the first thing because we work with a lot of business experts and entrepreneurs actually who can yeah offer their time voluntarily and do the workshops and do one-on-one -on -one mentoring and so on you know, the first question is always like, how is that scalable and so on? And then when we say, well, it maybe it doesn't have to be scalable, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I love like, that you oh, say yeah, that. Oh, yeah, sure, true, you know. And, and I have to say, also, a lot of the entrepreneurs in our program, they actually sell quite quickly, you know. They actually start making money. Maybe it's not a lot and maybe they're never going to be millionaires, but that's not even their goal. And I think that's also something I want to share with other people who want to do their own thing. It, it doesn't have to become big. It's just more about that it fulfills you and that you think you can do something that is at least meaningful for you or, or you enjoy it or you have fun and you can sustain your own living, you know, like that is also good enough. And I, I wish there would be more recognition for that. You know, you don't always need investors. Sometimes you just need a small loan and get your business off the ground or you bootstrapping, you know, like it's, there's very, very different ways to be entrepreneurial. <laughs> I'm really grateful that you say this. And I'm really curious to hear more about your singapreneurs, as you call them. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that women are more successful. So I'm curious how you define the success and also whether you have some statistics or numbers. Do you track their progress after they they've left the program? Yes, it's a good question. What is success? And I'm quite critical, actually, of the conventional interpretation of that word. In general, yeah, we look at different things. You know, we look at their network because we see what is crucial for people who come to Switzerland, at least in terms of their professional, but I think also social well-being is mm -hmm. to build a network. And especially as an entrepreneur, that's important, but also in general in your professional career. And that's something we evaluated quite detailed also together with support of the university and so on. How do people's networks change? Is it meaningful networks? You know, people they can contact, people they actually work with. So in general, every person who participates or has participated 
on average, they have about 30 to 35 new contacts that are actually meaningful contacts. So that is something that they say often that's the biggest impact. But then, of course, it's also on, you know, because many people who come to the program have been entrepreneurs before and some very successful. We have people who ran a business with 400 employees. Wow. Area, for example, you know, and now they have to start all over again. And so they are very talented, but maybe they don't know the Swiss context, you know, or sometimes it's even things like how do I actually behave or run a business meeting in Switzerland? How do investors work in Switzerland or in Europe? So these are things that, that really make a big difference for them, the network and also, of course, the knowledge. And two interesting also not just to have someone or some people or community around you that actually believes in you and challenges you but takes you seriously and we this is hard to evaluate but we see that this is quite a crucial part uh, people's self-confidence yes it was interesting we had people in the program who've been trying to get a job for years and at mm -hmm. some point said okay even though you know they're engineers and so on but their diplomas are not recognized in Switzerland I'm giving up. I'm going to start my own business. Mm -hmm. And they were in a program and suddenly they got a job, wow. you know, because I said, actually, it's just my confidence that changed. So now I'm curious a little bit about, I know that you had to move the whole program online and yes. you've been doing it for already for the last two months. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a bit about that? How did you do that? How, the, how did it all work out? What did you learn? What didn't work? And so forth. Yes. So the way our program works is that we have every week workshops with different experts who come in. And so usually we do that live. And we had it organized for Geneva and Zurich because we wanted to start in both cities in March. And basically, thanks to the great flexibility and openness of those workshop leaders, we were able to move it quickly online. Like basically this was also something uh, I was just before Corona started, I was actually on vacation. And then a few days before I came back, I had a call with our team and we, they said, let's still try to do it live. And my father is a doctor. So I had a bit more information on what's going on. And so I, that was one of the, the moments where I also said, no guys, let's move it online. We, not going to take the risk and but I wasn't even there so I have to say the team was amazing to say okay we'll, we'll look in this and they changed everything within two days you know they contacted okay. everyone they looked into how can we work with zoom what are other cool tools we can use what kind of icebreakers can we do how do we make this work within two three days especially in Geneva it was amazing and thanks to the great workshop leaders uh, we could move it online and what I think is our learning is it's great in many ways that you have more flexibility. You don't have to be in the same place. And for example, when you do little breakout sessions, which you would also do in live workshops, it's much faster. It's more efficient because you just put people in breakout rooms. <laughs> But what is, I think, a challenge is, especially in Zurich, that was the case. We never met the people who applied live because... Mm -hmm. We actually had to do part of the recruitment. We, we had planned a recruitment weekend, as we always do, and we couldn't do that. So we had to do online interviews. And once we started with the program, we realized for the first time we had some trust issues that we never had before. 
Mm. And I think it's because people never actually met us. How did that show the trust issues? Like, how did you notice that? So, for example, we have a participation agreement and we have another form that people need to sign on data constant, you know, that we can share the picture, that we actually can take pictures of them and share it on social media and so on. And for the first time, we had people who said, no, you can't use it. Or also on the participation agreement had like some questions. Mm, why that? Why this? And we never had that before, not to mm -hmm. that extent. And I think it was, yeah, we all realized we need to spend more time, you know, also catching up with everyone individually. Because usually when you do a workshop, you can talk to people quickly, five minutes over coffee break and so on. And you develop sort of a, a relationship. But online, it's, I think it's great if you have met before. It works perfectly. But if you've never met before, it takes longer to build that trust and people ask more questions. We think that's because we moved it online. I don't think after all these years and experiences that it's just because of the people, because we work with so many different people. That's interesting. Very interesting point. Like, did you take any measures now to, you know, check up on people or, or to build mm -hmm. and deepen the, the relationships? Yeah, we realized, first of all, you know, you... Because I think in life workshops, what happens or when you meet, you know, you automatically ask, how are you doing and so on. Mm -hmm. But online, you, you do that, but you quickly jump into the, your agenda, you know, and say, okay, now let's get started. And, and also you don't feel each other the same way, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't pick up on the little things that you would pick up if you actually meet in a room. And to be honest, I, a, few, a few years ago, I talked to a senior executive at Google and he told me, oh, whenever we have a problem, we just fly in everyone. It's so much more efficient. Mm -hmm. they, didn't, they don't actually use any of the technology. <laughs> it's just, you know, you want to solve a problem, you actually get people in the same room. Yeah, the measures we took is that we had more individual follow-up with people and also to do more interactive human stuff, you know, like doing more icebreakers during the workshops. That's the perfect keyword, you know, that I, I wanted uh, you to share an icebreaker mm -hmm. or any exercise mm -hmm. uh, that you can share with the community, because I think it's great that we collect some tools and exercises that uh, other people can use. Yes. So there's actually a free I want to share because I couldn't pick one. One is very simple. Uh, we a few times we're just like stretching and dancing with people and we even put on music for example um shake it from outcast <laughs> <laughs> wow. people actually love it even though you know we we had also people um one participant she's from syria she said oh we could do some arabic dancing and, and we will do that now next next workshop you know with some arabic dancing music but so there's this one we do that sometimes and we also did one that people do you actually... think that do you think that would work with just Swiss people? I will let you know because we're doing a mentoring workshop with mostly Swiss <laughs> mentors and I'll test it on them. <laughs> okay, yeah, please let me know. Yes, I'll let you know. Um, but in the workshops, I mean, we also have also Swiss people. And actually, funny enough, in one of the workshops, it's an entrepreneur and he's a techie and been an entrepreneur for a long time. And, so, and he loved it. He said, oh, let's do more of that. <laughs> But yeah, of course, I, I get your reservations. Uh, but no, yeah. I mean, I do love dancing, but knowing the Swiss people a little bit, I always feel like we have a bit of stick up our ass, so to say. 
as a yes. nation. <laughs> yes. But that's also why I feel what the good thing about that is that mostly people in Switzerland don't want to be rude and not follow your instructions. Yeah, okay, that's Even right. if they just bounce a little bit, they bounce a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if they see some other people being more courageous, then you know, sometimes you also realize surprises. Like with the Swiss workshop leader, we were all like, ooh, okay, he's really into that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And one thing we did um, was also, where's Waldo? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the book? Yes. It's, yeah. So we had some pictures from the book and people had to find Waldo. Wow. Somehow people really like this. <laughs> <laughs> and how do they say where he is? Like That's the thing. So then you need to, you, so the first one who sees, who thinks they see him, they have to say, stop. And then they have to explain where. And then sometimes they get it wrong. And it's like, no, that's not Waldo. This is a funny thing to just, you know, it takes off your mind from other things. But of course, it's still something on the screen. And the last one, you know, before we start, we ask, how are you? And we, we use the whiteboard function on Zoom and they can actually draw how they're feeling right now. Oh, I love that. That's more on the creative side. Yeah. What do they draw? You know, it can be from, it can be sometimes just a smiley to a little picture to an abstract form. And then they can say what they mean with it or just leave it like it is. Oh, I like that. It's a way to express themselves. And one thing, actually, it's not an icebreaker, but I thought it was amazing. We did one online event over Zoom with all the entrepreneurs from Geneva and from Zurich. And, you know, some of them, they don't speak English. They speak only French or they speak only German. But we asked them to show us their business idea or everyone through the camera by just, you know, using objects or actually doing movements, kind of, <laughs> you know, and it was such a cool thing. And people were so creative, you know, they had to just kind of act what is their business. I think that's a really cool exercise. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for sharing it. I think definitely a lot of Zoom hosts and workshop leaders will appreciate these ideas, how to break the ice and, and get the people to be more creative and, and, and fun. Yeah. And also one thing, all these ideas, they're not from me. They're all from the team, from different team members. So that's also the cool thing about, you know, involving your team in that and asking them. Oh, I love it. I'm really grateful. Like all the credit here goes to LOD and Roxy and Tina and Giordano and Adiba and our team. I'm just the messenger. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing as I was wondering when you said, you know, you have a program in Geneva and one in Zurich mm -hmm. going on. Was there an opportunity to combine more, to make it more, you know, efficient yeah, now online? Point. Actually, that's a brilliant point. I forgot to mention because of Zoom, of this opportunity to do it online, we, yes, decided now to do two workshops that are coming up online together. So because we, we hired or, yeah, we asked two workshop leaders. For one, one is on co-founding with Jana Nevralka, and usually she would go to Geneva and then she would do it in Zurich. Yes. And now... This year also, because she's, she has a lot of things on her plate, she actually said, oh, I'm not sure I can do it in both places. Now we're able to do it online for the whole group. Great. So that's actually, yeah, that's a big advantage too. Mm -hmm. And people even get to meet other people from the other program if you do breakout rooms or something. Yes. And that's also what we could do through the online event, you know, because before we didn't even, 
that's actually a cool thing. Every year we think, hmm, well, actually, it's only last year that we had the first program in Geneva. <laughs> but before we already thought, okay, how do we connect those different entrepreneurs? Because it's too expensive to travel or too complicated to travel to one place with everyone. And, but every year we think about it and we were just stuck to this idea we have to meet physically. Mm -hmm. And the whole COVID situation forced us now to, you know, move online. And suddenly we're like, oh, of course, I mean, if we do an online event, we might as well do it for everyone. And it was so cool that they connected now and, they, you know, they really got along. And I said, hey, I'm doing a similar business and let's connect. Let's maybe exchange LinkedIn and email address. And that's really, really cool. Yeah, so that's great. Now we can always do that, you know. It's, it's just opened our mind space for new ideas. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I want to slowly wrap up. I have about two to three more questions. And one of them is actually from Isabel that I've interviewed before. And she wanted to know how we can make education more accessible. Wow, that's a very relevant question. And I think often the first conclusion is, yeah, that all these online opportunities, you know, having either um, Skype calls or online seminars or sharing toolkits and material online is, is the way to go. And I think that is true. And I think especially in, in areas where people have no means to travel or anything, this is a good way forward. But what I also think is the personal connection is crucial and makes such a big difference. And one of the things I learned throughout the last years with the Singer Factory is that, you know, we never had to look actually for one volunteer expert, never. People always came. Like we shared that, you know, through media and so on that we're looking for people. And there's so many people who want to share their knowledge and their experience. And This is something I think, but what you need for that, you need, of course, someone to organize it. But I mm -hmm. think this is something we should use much more. I don't know if, we, if I can apply this on a global level, but at least in Switzerland, I know this. But also in Germany, I see it from all the other singer programs in Italy and so on. So many people are willing and are actually curious and interested to share their knowledge and their experience with others. And that is something I think we're not using enough. You know, we don't think about that that way. We always think, oh, it's hard. People want to be paid and people don't have time and so on. And to be honest, the people who dedicate most of their time to singer are actually the busiest people. It's wow. the CEO with three kids who has two companies, but they always show up. And I'm like, you know, we'll never pay them or anything. They do wow. this voluntarily. And it's always the busy people. So it's not, it's not even about time. It's just that there are a lot of people out there, I think, who really want to share. And they also always say, like, I learned so much from this too, you know. That's a great and insight. Yes. And it's because we, this is something, for example, we also evaluate. We don't have a, I think we have maybe from all these 250 people, there's maybe two or three unemployed. Yeah, and I think it comes back full circle to what we were talking in the beginning. You know, the, I mentioned the Purpose Economy book. 
-hmm. And actually they started also with a business where they would bring together volunteers. And that's also what he said, what he noticed, it was so easy to get volunteers because so many people wanted, yeah, to volunteer because they felt it was something meaningful. It, it, it um, would broaden the horizon. It would add value. So even mm -hmm. though they wouldn't get paid, it was, it was easy for them to find volunteers. And I think that's great for people to keep in mind because as you say, and I think especially in Switzerland, it's like, oh, I don't know, I don't dare to ask somebody to help me and I cannot pay them. Yeah, and so I think to be honest, to come back to your question on the accessibility of education, all the online tools and so on, I think that's a very relevant point, but I think we also need to facilitate more of this knowledge transfer that also happens in person, you know? And that's what I see with a lot of the mentors and mentees. Many of them continue to exchange and also pass on knowledge and connect each other with people who know even more and can pass on their knowledge. What I notice is that, at least in Switzerland, people don't just bump into each other. It needs to be facilitated, you know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our mentors say, like, I've never met a refugee in my life. And mm -hmm. I would have never met them. But I actually enjoy it so much. And it's not, I mean, I actually hate the word refugee. It's just someone who had this experience. It's a human. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you, you was just, you know, had this experience. But we tend to meet people who live a similar life. and In our bubble. <laughs> Yes. And I mean, that's very human, but I think on accessibility of knowledge, I, I realized, yes, actually, once we connect these people, you know, it's, they don't need us anymore, but you need to have a facilitation in the first round, so to say. I see this is also something that really changes people's life. Like suddenly they have access to knowledge, access to people, access to different networks and so on. And this happens on a human level. This doesn't just happen through online communities. I think we need both. So do you have a question for uh, my next guest? My question is, how do you get people to be curious to learn something that they have no idea about yet? You know, often I feel I, I see this with myself and also others. You learn more in your comfort zone or that is related to what you're doing, but to really dive into something completely new where you are, especially when you're more progress in your career, I guess, you know, to, to start all over in something and really dive into something new. I would love to know, like, how do you motivate people or how do you trigger that? Yeah, I love that. I will ask that to the next person. I know I could go on talking with you forever, but I think we need to <laughs> cut it here. Uh, you can yeah. always come back at some point, but I want to thank you here so much for that honest and very enlightening conversation, Raina. Thank you, Melanie. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and to be somehow uh, part of your exciting adventures, like this podcast series. I'm very excited to also hear the other podcasts and Yeah, thank you for always being you and being so honest and positive and collaborative and sharing all your experience and thoughts. And yeah, I'm really grateful that I know you. <laughs> thank you, likewise, Sarayna. Thank you so much for listening to the Joyful Learning Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now head over to melanikovac.com 
There you find the show notes with all the resources that we mentioned in this episode. You get to connect to the guest speakers and you can join the conversation and the community around joyful learning. Let's make learning joyful again. See you soon.